When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. everybody welcome back to the turn the jets podcast i'm your host will parkinson at will 11 on twitter instagram and tiktok joined by a third time guest cooper rush um no we're in connor rogers uh you know bleacher report badland stock exchange good morning football um so a lot of a lot of fun stuff connor how you doing today good man i'm excited to be back it's that time of year um it's hella busy in jets land again somehow even when it's not it finds a way feels like we are in yet another trade rumors part of the year, and we're also, God, less than a week pretty much away from the actual NFL draft. So it's exciting, dude. Yeah, no, it's it's fun. It's a good time. You know, seven days out. Um, obviously can't go a day without something happening. Yesterday we get, um, you know, me and you kind of talked about this. Of like, There was a lot of stuff from Debo that was floated a couple weeks ago, and I, I'm sure you did the same as me, checking with people, you know, around the league and all these teams and everyone's like, no chance. Like I was literally told, quote, fuck no, by someone on the Niners <laughs> staff. And um, and then we get it yesterday where, you know, it comes out um, that he requested a trade. Then he goes on Instagram and says he didn't request a trade and doesn't care about the location, even though it gets leaked, whatever. There's a lot going on. Then we have Mekhi Beckton not attending, uh, you know, voluntary workouts. Um, like we'll hit this tough quickly before we get into the draft seven days out instant reaction kind of to Debo and you know how aggressive the Jets should be um and then just like if at all any issue with Mikai Becton uh you know doing it putting his foot in his mouth again yeah right okay so a lot to unpack I think with Debo it's a no-brainer that they gotta be in on this if there is a sweepstakes to be had if you know like you said Will you know, you talk to everybody. He was always the guy. I think people even that listen to Badlands will remember this that I like never even considered. I just thought he was the one that would get done. He, in my opinion, was the best offensive player in the NFL last year. Um, he obviously does so many different things for San Francisco, and and there's a lot to unpack there whether he wants to do those things anymore. But when he's just a number one wide receiver he also stacks up production-wise with almost any other number one wide receiver. I mean, okay, if he's not Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson, but he's pretty dang close in terms of what kind of productive number one target he can be. When you look at the first eight weeks of the season, I think he only had five carries up to that point, so he was being only used as a wide receiver, and his production was insane. So that's why I thought he was perfect for Kyle Shanahan. 
Now, what I'll say is, I, it feels like something went wrong here that we don't know about, um, and we will probably know about, because it, it just blew up, right? It went from, you know, they got to pay Debo to he requested a trade like a week ago or whatever it is, and now it's, it's been very vocal, it's been very public. The Niners are firing back to a lot of different players that they're not fielding offers, they're not trading him, which is really a mis message to the player that you're stuck with us and we got to make this work. We'll see how long they really stick that one out. I'm done doing the whole it'll never happen thing because how many times this offseason have we seen guys move that we thought would never be traded? So I think at the end of the day, if there's a sweepstakes to be had, the Jets got to be in on this. Now, I will say this, and I know you've said this for a long time as well, Will, everything that we hear is Joe Douglas is not trading that 10th overall pick. It's And it's not – forget number four. That's never happening. Number 10, the way you explain it is – you have to pay him 24-ish million dollars a year. So you're not also trading an asset that can keep you cost-effective somewhere else at a high rate, pick number 10. It would probably be, you know, maybe 35 and 38. Maybe there's got to be a sweetener. Uh, and understandably, the Niners probably don't want that because they look at Debo and go, he's way better than that. Tyreek was 28. Um, I'm really even surprised that the package that got done for Tyreek did. I thought it was a little low. But it's different ball game, right? So that's where I'm at. The Jets got to be in on that. If it, and I, they will be in on that. We know that. It's just a matter of – and you would think they have the best chance. They have money they've saved. They have draft capital. They have a relationship there that's very consistent between Kyle Shanahan and the Jets staff. Um, you know, and, you know, Debo's played under Mike LaFleur before. So he'd be going somewhere back to the East Coast. He'd be going somewhere comfortable. But the Niners at some point, the Niners got to decide this quick, by the way. The draft is in six days, okay? They need, and I get the whole they can get capital for 2023, but how are the Niners going to trade him after the draft and then go into this year with a essentially a rookie at quarterback, no Debo Samuel, and they didn't get to use any of the capital they got for Debo in this previous draft to re restock. So they got to decide this quick. Becton, as I'm going really long here on Debo, Becton, I, I mean, I don't want to be that guy, but I, I've hinted at Badlands for a long time why Iki Aquanu has been in play at four is, number one, because Iki's one of the best players in the draft, and the guys like him don't come around very often, or opportunity to land a guy like him doesn't come around very often. The Becton side of it, though, also plays into this. The fact that, and it's not that he got rolled up on last year, and that the recovery has not gone at a pace that I think everybody's content with. It's the fact that, and Will, you were out for practices more than me, he had a really bad training camp where car, they... You know, I've talked to you, I've talked to other people on the beat who said that they had to, like, basically tell Carl Lawson, like, re like relax, we can't run anything because of what you're doing to Becton. And at the end of the day, now you don't – OTAs are very – I want to be careful with, right, because they're voluntary, this portion of them. But I just look at it and go, if you already are not gelling with a staff that did not draft you, that will not guarantee you a starting spot, and you have a lot to prove, and unless there's things we don't know about, right? I know there's rumors that he has, might have a baby on the way, whatever it may be. And I know he's working out with Duke down south, and that's great. It's just, for me, it's another thing where they're looking at it, and they want guys that are fully committed to working with this staff. Everyone else is there. Um, so uh, it's it goes hand-in-hand hand with the draft overall again. Right? And it, there's a lot that needs to go on there. If they did take a Kwanu, um, is there a package they would have in place to move on from Becton, or do they still believe in Becton and they move on from Fant? You and I know they are not moving on from George Fant. I want Jets fans to understand that. They love George Fant. So 
A lot going on in Jets' world that has nothing to do with the draft in a way, which is unbelievable as we're six days away from it. Yeah, the, the Debo thing, um, the two things I would say is, one, the Jamal Adams trade, I know that's been referenced a bunch here. If like, you know, that was kind of the first guy I felt like where it was like he's not on the table and then the package was just too good. And so you have to kind of, it was kind of started a trend a little bit. And we've seen that all offseason. Um, anyone can get moved outside of about three or four players. And even those guys, I'm sure theoretically you could trade enough first round picks to get Josh Allen if you really tried. Um the Niners are not in the situation where the Jets moved on after the draft because of what happened, but also they were in a two to three year full tear it down. It almost helped them in a sense. They got Zach Wilson because they were literally so bad. The Niners are trying to compete for a title. Um, they were, you know, a dropped interception away from potentially, they probably would have won that Super Bowl in my opinion. So good chance. Yeah. Um, if they're going to move on, they're going to want to get, you know, I said this yesterday and I, I think it kind of went under the radar and it, I wasn't the first person to say it, but they were at Drake London's pro day. They have not gone to any of those other guys pro days. And I know it's USC. It's not really that close. LA and San Francisco are not like where this isn't. Yeah. It might be just a drive, but they were intently there. And if you follow in Rappaport's timeline of when he said Debo made the trade request, it was pretty much hand in hand with when they made, went to Drake London's pro day. Does it matter? Probably not. It's just something that there is a lot of nuance kind of going on here. The usage thing, Debo is the first receiver since 2006 with three 75-yard receptions in a season. Like, I think he's okay as a receiver. Don't care about the drop rate when you have a ton of targets, especially over the middle of the field, and you, yep. have, new, you have Jimmy Garoppolo. Drop rate's stupid. T.O. and Randy Moss used to lead the league in drops, but also in touchdowns and yards and catches. It's what happens. Jamar Chase. Um, the Jets should be very aggressive. They will be aggressive. It makes too much sense. They've showed their full ass, as you like to say. With the Tyreek Hill thing, Debo's yeah. younger, younger, almost arguably just as good, and he doesn't have domestic abuse in his past. So yeah, they took their cards to the poker table, yeah. and flipped them around everyone, and everyone Everybody saw it. it. And, yeah. Right? It's like it's not law jets. That's not they're not clickbait in the situation. They legitimately everyone's like it makes too much sense. The Beckton thing. The only thing I'll say is like, look, if the Connor McGovern's the only other offensive lineman missing, he's an established second contract guy who the Jets made it very clear to tell everyone he is not there because of a baby. The Jets, didn't, the Jets did not say that with Mekhi Becton, and that's why the only pushback I'll give the fans that I saw were in my mentions this morning was they easily could have just said, he's with his girlfriend, we're good, he's away from the team. They've been hinting at Becton not being there for weeks. We were at the Combine, Joe Douglas, and was pretty much like he's not going to be there. Salah spoke. He's like, eh, we'll see. It's just like there's a lot there, and if 2021 didn't happen, I wouldn't care, but this is too big of a season for him to be a guy that's – we were unsure of like what's going on. I mean, I had Brandon Thorne who you work with and on the pod. And he said Beckton's working out. He looks great. <laughs> Everyone was, should be working out. A lot of guys, a lot of guys work out. That's on, that's a part of your job as a professional athlete. It's like when Ezekiel Elliott's losing weight. Great, man. So happy for you. Um, yeah, I want to transition. Yeah. In the first place? Yeah. Why, why are, are we, we having to fun? talk about your weight? Yeah. Um, well, I'm to dive into some of the draft stuff and, you know, obviously we're seven days out. One, I mean, obviously at 10, from everything me and you kind of – you've talked about a lot, I've talked about, it kind of seems like if they're there, this is a theoretical quote, if they're there, it's either KT or Icky at four, and at 10, likely Drake London or Jamison Williams. I've not heard as much Garrett Wilson lately, even though I know he's your wide receiver one, and I think he'd be a great fit. I just think Joe Douglas loves speed, and the Jets do need that bigger body. Um, do you think there's a difference in a scheme fit perspective of Jamison Williams and Drake London? Just take out, you know – they're getting if they're getting picked at 10 you lined them up like is one a better fit for the scheme or are they kind of just do different things you know what I, what i believe in with lafleur i think he does 
as much as we hear that like all the receivers and be able to play every position and all these things I, I do think he's a smart enough guy that when you simplify it to the most basic football terms he would know how to use a guy that is a jump ball bully and he'll know how to use a guy that's a speed demon and, and they are more than that with drake london what i like is i think he can be a short area monster on slants something the team thought they were getting with Corey davis Corey had a tough year uh he blocks at a really high level he can make the you know zach can start getting that back shoulder ball a little bit more involved in the offense that was dynamite for him at byu red zone monster and then with Jamison, he could be a true X. He could stretch the field. I think he's really good in the intermediate area. I think his speed forces guys to play off, and it opens up the run game. So I look at these two guys, and I think that, you know, it comes down to almost what they think is better for Zach. And I, I'm fascinated to know what that ultimate answer is, is, because for a long time we've heard Drake London. We've had some recent Jamison steam pick up. I will, though, go down on the hill that – I'll be surprised if this team takes Jamison Williams because I think they are so fearful of a bad start to the year. And the reality, and that, that I'm not saying that's wrong or right. Like it, that's, that's usually not the right way to draft. You don't draft thinking of the first two months of the season. You draft thinking of the next two to four years of this guy's career, but they internally understandably know that they need somebody to come. And I will say when you do the chain link effect of Zach goes into the year with, if everyone stays healthy, Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Braxton Berrios, obviously the tight ends. You kind of shrug your shoulders and go, okay. But if he goes into the year with Drake London, Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Braxton Berrios as a depth piece, the two tight ends, you're like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna see it. Like we're gonna learn. Like if this is if this isn't going well, like okay, we got bigger problems on our hands. And teams love that. They love being sure if they have their quarterback of the future or not. So ironically, Drake's health, which I know he had a season-ending injury, but he's gonna be ready to go for training camp might be a little bit of the deciding factor and I also think that when it comes down to it they need a guy that when the play breaks down and in this offense with Zach Wilson the play breaks down a lot that can shield DBs can win the football can come back to the football and be a hero sometimes and that's why I just look at everything he does on the field and think there's a good chance that that's the guy yeah it's interesting it kind of this kind of blends a little bit of what I was going to ask you next but yeah, the Jameson Williams thing is interesting. You kind of hear different stuff. I heard from people October 1st is when he'll be back. That just means he'll be, like, ready to go practicing. So that doesn't necessarily mean he's playing week four. And he's still a rookie. He's still a rookie. And he he's, played one year in yeah, college. Yeah, it's not um, – it is different. But the one thing with Jameson that's interesting, too, is, like, if the Jets start 0-4, like, there's a good chance that, like, people are going to start – like, they might not get fired, but there is, like – there is a serious fire lit under like they cannot start oh and 12 i guess in the first three years of of uh of joe douglas as a full-time gm and under his like tutelage like they, you can't be oh and 12 in september three years in a row um like the johnsons aren't going to be able to sit there and go oh the building's empty by week five week six like the parking lots it just doesn't it doesn't business. work it doesn't work like that like bringing in business will is something that nobody ever talks about with this team that matters so much to this team whether yeah. that's right or wrong i know people hate that especially football people but it it's on their minds oh and that's why like the jets have done a lot of these crazy moves over the year and people oh it's oh it's wall jets but like you're there to make money and the jets haven't They've literally not won a Super Bowl in 50-something years, and they're the fourth or fifth most valuable franchise. It's the same thing with the Knicks. The Knicks building's full every night, um, even when they're bad. And, like, you need to be able to put 
that's like start that started to change though. And the Knicks kind of kicked it into gear. Like these teams start to figure it out. When the Yankees building starts getting more empty, you see them get more urgent. That was when Garrett Cole happened. It was like the building's a little empty on Wednesday night in May. So um, look, I think Drake London, like, I mean, Austin Gale, who's I guess technically a colleague of yours now, Compton to Michael Thomas. If you give me Michael Thomas with elite, like he's not a 50-50 guy. And I know I made this joke, but like he's really 80-20, 70-30. Like he hangs in the air forever. It's not just that he jumps well, he's tall. Like if you watch, like he's in the air forever. And it's like I don't know. Zach's play style, I think he fits perfectly. Like he, everyone fits Jameson Williams' play style if you have any semblance of an arm because he stretches the defense. But I just feel like it's going to be those two guys. I don't think you can wait um, this narrative that you can wait till rounds two, three, four to get a receiver. No. Yes. It, there's only been, um, I believe, seven guys that have made the Pro Bowl since 2011 drafted after pick 75. Tyreek, the domestic abuse stuff, Keenan Allen, the injuries, yep. Hunter Renfro, short on an athletic white dude. Yep. Um, some, some, somebody else was in there that's only oh chris godwin's the only one where you're like oh that was a weird one um it was a weird one because everybody liked him and he yeah. just kept falling and nobody knew why and great draft for the jets um yeah. <laughs> but no i guess in the other thing i want to kind of you talked about this a good amount on badlands so we don't have to go into it too much but just like can you just talk a little bit about how like teams view that two-year window and like kind of what that means i know it sounds obvious but it, i feel like people aren't haven't grasped it yet but, like drafting in a two-year window looks like yeah, I mean, you look at your team roster, right? And you go, and you know, the Jets for a while have been a team that they just draft because, like, we need players. And I think they're finally almost reaching the point where they could start factoring in the two-year rule a little bit, where you can get you get ahead of things. You use the draft to get ahead of things. Like the perfect example for a, a fan that's trying to get into the draft or understand it. Look at the Tampa Bay Bucks, right? The Bucks are they barely have any needs. They're picking at twenty-seven. There's going to be a really good player there. And every time we do the exercise on the stock exchange at PFF, and and I do the pod with Trevor, who grew up, he's from Florida, he's grown up a Bucks fan, so it's uh, even more interesting. It's, well, who are going to be their free agents after this year? What is a position that they value that they're going to lose guys? And they know by year two they're going to get production from that player, and often it's the secondary for us. So the two-year thing is kind of, the Jets' example is, George Fant is a free agent after this year. This team can, under Joe Douglas, will never be a team, in my opinion, that's going to kind of shrug their shoulders at offensive tackle, where they're going to go, yeah, we like three guys on the roster, they're going to battle it out, they're going to figure it out, and we're going to be serviceable there for a year. I, did, I don't think they will ever be that franchise as long as Joe Douglas is here. And If I was a GM, I'd be the same way. It's a position I would never play roulette at. I would never do it. How many years did we see Mike McCagnon do it with varied names that never worked out and before him? So... And then you think when Tanny was there, you know, and Mangini's influence as well, they had Brick for how many years? Just hold, You almost forgot Brick was on the Jets because it was like, oh, great, we have a left tackle. We never have to worry about this for the next 10 years. And I think that's what Joe And then Douglas you did. <laughs> and then you did. Um, so when you look at it, that's how you draft where you're thinking, are we going to be able to re-sign Fant? And, and they probably think they will be able to because they like him that much. But do they think Makai Becton – is going to be the 17-game answer for the next five seasons. And, and I don't know if they think that, honestly. I, I, and I hate that it seems like sometimes I pile on Becton, but he it's an easy example because it's a premium position. It's a Joe Douglas draft pick that was a premium pick, but this staff did not make. The previous staff made that pick. And if anything happens to him this year where he's not ready to go, there's no, there's no Morgan Moses on the bench that's there to save the day. There, he's gone. He's gone. So then there's, you know, you're looking at disaster again. So 
that's kind of the rule of looking ahead of drafting. And I look at linebacker as a position for them with that, where even if they like Quincy Williams, and I don't know how much they do, and you go into the year with CJ and Quincy, even if you draft a linebacker at 38, which is a premium pick for a linebacker, a top 40 pick on a linebacker, you are saying this guy's going to be really, really good. Not only are you upgrading next to CJ this year, you have a guy when CJ's money can come off the books because you don't want to be paying a linebacker 17 million a year. So that's always the looking ahead of the draft. You're not always thinking free agency is for holes. The draft is for the best players available. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting. The Quincy Williams, like I, people, I think people think I have a feud with Quincy Williams. I don't. I just get frustrated when it's really hard having like I nerd out with stuff, and I it's fine. I find it very frustrating knowing that he's being told what to do on a play. And then it's like, when you're overthinking, you don't know what you're doing. You kind of just run with your hair on fire. That's great. But it also makes it really difficult. And the Titans game could happen, which is great. And then the next week, the Colts game happens and you get gashed for 600 yards. So um, I just would prefer a little bit more stability. Quincy maybe more as that, you know, back third down guy runs around. Um, I guess I'll ask you quickly on, on linebacker. There's a there's a group of guys that safety is linebackers that'll be there, right? That's kind of like the premium. That's kind of like where you start to see those guys fall. Yeah. Let's just assume. I mean, I think we both assume Daxton Hill and Lucien will go in round one, and the Jets don't trade up. Um, the guys that kind of feel like they're going to be there is you know the Briskers, Leo Chanel, a guy who te- typical test better tester than uh, he looks like. You know, he looks a little stiff on tape, and then he's yeah. running a three eight uh, twenty yard shuttle, which just makes sense, but. Either of those guys, if you had to choose at 35, Leo Chanel and Drukon Brisker are there. Who are you taking? I would take Brisker. Um, I just think he's a better player. And, and I like Chanel. I think he's a good run defender. I think he's a good downhill run defender. He's a tremendous blitzer. He'd be such a He's just going to be a Patriot. It's just they have to accept it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. He's definitely their type of linebacker. Um, you know, Oprick loves to blitz the linebackers on third down. And it's, it's honestly the best aspect of his game. He's tremendous at it. But And that's where you see the athleticism pop a little more than the rest of his game. Brisker to me is he hurt his shoulder week one of the year and he played through it the entire year. And then he missed, he missed a a ton of tackles, not a ton. He missed a decent amount of tackles and it's. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal each week. You're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You've watched the tape, he had to change his play style because of that shoulder. 
He still makes a lot of really good tackles. He's a good athlete. He's good in coverage. He's got good range in zone. He can play a little man in the slot. He loves to come down to the box, read the run, diagnose the run, live in the backfield. I just think that if you believe he could stay healthy, his body type can hold up. You know, like you said, Seen and Dax Hill are off the board in this spot. They're guys that are top 25 players to me. Uh, Brisker is, they, they love that interchangeability at safety where, you know, you, you can do whatever the guy can do next to you, and we could trust you both to handle different roles. It's not like when Greg was here and, you know, Jamal one year was the, the really the weapon. He almost was like a star kind of player they call in college in the box. And, and then Marcus took over that role the next year. No coincidence, they each had their best years handling that role. And Greg was right. When they traded Jamal, Greg was like, he's going to miss it here. And Greg got so much out of him in that position. The Jets safeties aren't like that anymore. They don't use them like that. You have to really be able to do a little bit of everything. Brisker is the guy that can do a little bit of everything. I compared him to Eric Weddle, um, who, was a, who I was going to say was a great player in this league. He came back for the playoffs <laughs> last year. It was the craziest thing ever. Weddle was an awesome player that had really no holes in his game. And if Brisker is healthy, once again, that really matters here. He's that kind of guy. Yeah, I, I would love for them to end up with Lewis Cena and Brian Osmo in round three. But I've been on – I just watched Brian Osmo at – he's the guy that doesn't really get talked about. I know he's a little undersized, probably more of a sub-package guy initially, unless you play next to a bigger backer. But I don't know. I didn't see anyone hit harder at the Senior Bowl. Like, every single time he would take on contact. Like, that's the only reason I'm not quite as high on Chad Muma right now. It's just, like, watching him actually hit people in pads, I got, like, a little bit – I said a little bit of hesitation. I was like, you're really a run and chase guy. Like you are, you are not coming up and thumping people. Whereas um, Brian Osimo is probably six one two thirty, And like hit, he's like, he does hit similar to Jamal in the sense where like they hit a lot bigger and play a lot bigger than, than their size. Um, I'll start with a negative question in a sense. The worst case scenario for the jets. I think we've all kind of been over is the board goes Hutch KT icky, which it's probably the favorite right now of based on it's the way the board should realistically go. And it's yeah. the way the board could go. Although I detailed look, Trent Balky and Jim Harbaugh hate each other. And like, that's a real thing. And people want these guys to be performing a vacuum and put the feelings aside. That's just not how this stuff works. Um, and then you look at, you know, is Icky really the best player in the draft? You should be helping Trevor Lawrence. The Lions, you know, would run the Hutch card in. That's been the worst kept secret in football uh, for months now. Let's say the board goes that way. Like, what do the Jets do? Because I know you're super high on Jermaine. People want sauce. People want, say, just take the receiver, trade back. I don't think there's, like, an easy answer here unless you do. So try to help me out here with, like, what's the, you know, I guess, best case you could perform out of that situation. It's pretty bad, right? This happened to me on the mock draft show we did uh, this week with the tailgate guys. And... Trev and I traded it to the Saints for 16 and 19. And, you know, we still got Drake London at 10. Somehow we got Trayvon Walker at 16. So the exercise doesn't hold. And we got Linderbaum at 19. So it was like still a ridiculous draft. It's the simulator is, you know, it could be a little funky. So what, what I think the Jets would do, I think the Jets would take Jermaine Johnson. I absolutely do. What I would do, I would obviously try to get out of the pick, but not go too far. The chances of that are so slim. Man. I, I can sell you Jermaine Johnson there. And it's not pretty. I, he's not a traditional top five pick. I get it. It's not a great draft class at the top. This is not a scheme that values corner that way. Like, you're, you're going to take a – and I love Sauce. He's a great player. He's awesome. You're going to take a man cover corner in a scheme that is so zone heavy on first and second down. That I just, like, don't understand. It also just doesn't really fit the Jets scheme the way that, like, Stingley, like – 
I can make yes. you a case. Derek Stingley makes more sense than Sauce because of his versatility. And like, I feel good with him in any coverage. The foot's the issue, not to me. Like, yes, this versatility. Sauce is a man-to-man corner, and there, and there's nothing wrong with that. He's a really good player. I just think that I number one, I don't think they would do that. And so I think that at number four, I would take the pass rusher in Jermaine, who I, I really think he's Matt Judon, and that's a great player. I mean, for the Jets, they would take that in ten out of ten times. So. I know that would shock some people uh, or wouldn't shock some, some, it would make people angry, which I don't understand as well. I would just say, just watch him. I mean, the more you watch him, you fall in love with the guy. He's got great hands. He's got all world's work ethic. He's good against the run already. You don't have to worry about him developing against the run. He's got a very varied pass rush move set. He's got the best spin move in the class, two hand swipe. He can counter inside. It's really coming together for him at an alarming rate. So I would have no problem taking Jermaine Johnson at four. I guess the counter argument you can make, which is like big brain, is you would take the wide receiver that you like at four with the fear that that player is going to go at eight to Atlanta and you think Jermaine's going to be there at 10, which in that scenario, he might be. He might go to Seattle at nine and you get sniped, but he might be there at 10. So that's the only other reverse way I could do it. But the, the bottom line is, and I don't think this is going to happen, if it goes Hutch, KT, Icky, not a good scenario for the New York Jets. The worst scenario. I, I don't think that's going to happen, though. I think Trayvon Walker is going in the top three. Yeah, no, I do, too. I, I think he's going one. I, I just, like, I this wow. isn't, like, a – I don't – I think this is, like, a legitimate, like, this isn't just smoke. Like, he's going to be a top three pick, and – I don't think they know yet. Yeah, I don't – no, I don't think they have any idea what they're doing. I think, like, Doug wants one thing. Balky wants another thing. Shad Khan wants another thing. And the problem is Shad Khan wins. And so does Balky. And unfortunately for Doug, who's probably the guy that should be making the pick, it's a whole nother discussion. They're going to not protect Trevor and they're going to draft another defensive line in the top seven. It's like the 25th year in a row. Um, I guess we'll go to kind of best case scenario here. I think best case we kind of all agree is either Icky or Icky and KT are both available for you can make either pick and the receivers there at 10. In the hypothetical, they do trade for Debo. Just let's say they move a similar package to you mentioned, 35 and 38. I don't think it'll be 10. So I think it's fair. Right. So what's, let's say they get the, they get any pass rusher at four and they have Debo. Like, what are you doing at 10? Are you doubling up at receiver? Are you going corner safety? You can make an argument for all of them, to be honest with you. I think I'm having the time of my life. There's so many fun things you could do here. So say, and like you said, there's a couple of different scenarios. The dream, like the dream, 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 dream is you get Debo at 35 and 38, you get Icky at four, and you get Jermaine at 10. And that is insane and not unrealistic. I really think that can happen if you could pull off the Debo trade. I think there's a chance Icky's there at four. I still think he's going three, but I think there's at least a chance he's there at four. That's the dream. Now let's put away the dream for a second and say that Icky was gone. You got KT at four. Like you said, 10 becomes a wild card scenario. I have no problem taking Kyle Hamilton in that scenario because you're not picking at 35 and 38 anymore. So now you're not getting brisker. You're going to, you need a safety and Hamilton's a great player. Don't like, you don't have to overthink that. He's getting like Nick cross at 111, which is like a total project. Yeah, exactly. So I would consider, I would consider Hamilton. um, No problem there. There God, you can get so fun with this. I would consider trading it to get some of that extra pick back that you lost with 35, 38. And then you go back a little bit there. I'll tell you what's like my like so ridiculously insane theory is I would still consider taking Jamison Williams or Drake London, knowing that Corey Davis is not going to be on this team in 2023 and just go, cool. 
Our future wide receiver core is Debo Samuel, one of Drake London and Jamison Williams, and Elijah Moore. And that's not even insane when you look at what the Chiefs roll out year after year. You look at what the Bills roll out, the Bengals. All these teams have, are deep at weapons. Uh, so I, as much as it would probably be Kyle Hamilton for me, I I wouldn't completely rule that out. And then if the, the Becton situation, if, if it's internally in their eyes worse than we think, I mean, hell, you might consider Charles Cross at 10 as well if you took KT at four. So that that opens up a door where the draft gets so much more fun for the Jets. Yeah, my, like, number one, I tweeted yesterday, and I think, like, I was literally not kidding. If you drafted them, you could either trade Corey Davis. It's a $400,000 cap hit or something if you moved him this year, and you could cut him for nothing next year. So, like, in that scenario, maybe you recoup a four, day three pick, like a fourth rounder or a third rounder to get Atlanta to take his contract theoretically. Again, this is all just speculation. They'd have to land Debo. But, man, I, that's certainly a way to evaluate your quarterback. I think the if you asked me in August if the Jets could have – Kayvon Thibodeau, Derek Stingley, and Debo Samuel. That's a good I'd, point. I'd look you in the face and say you got the two best players in the country and the best. Like, that's – it's not going to – I don't think it happens. I'm just saying that's the theoretical where, like, then you feel really good about a corner at 10 because now you can – that defense, you can get get a little crazy. Um, we'll finish our last two things. One, running back. I feel like we're not – people aren't really talking about. And rightfully so. It's more likely um, a day three thing. I guess I'll kind of pose it as, like, an over-under in a sense. Like, over under pick 69, the Jets should consider taking a running back, like, or 69 and a half, I guess. So that way it's either a day three pick or a day two pick. Man, I have no problem with them taking one at 69. I think that's kind of the sweet spot for me. Um, I look at, I pull up the running backs right now. Like, Brees is going to be gone. I, I think you and I have talked about this recently. I think Spiller will be gone. Maybe, though. Not a lot. Yeah, Kenneth yeah. Walker that, might be that gone. That buzz is bothering me, man. I, it's been nuts. I, it's. <laughs> be the least athletic running back of like the, in the NFL of a starter. So I don't like that at all. The guy I'm taking at 69 would be uh, Damian Pierce from Florida. I, I would take him. He's a David Montgomery clone. He'd be the best pass protecting back on the team. The second he puts on the draft hat, like it's that. And, and once again, you don't have to do that. You know, you look at their picks 69 is, you know, if that's too rich for someone's blood, um, there's going to be good backs at 111 and 117, but there's also the Michael P Ryan's of the world at that. I, we got to get out of this mold of this world thinking that every running back is taken on day three. It, it's getting insane. The, it Just because the running backs are not found on day one does not mean that they're only found on day three. Day two is where you want your running back because that's where the guys are that have the athleticism, but also check two of the three boxes of pass catching, running, uh, or pass protecting. So I, I like 69 as their running back pick, to be honest with you. Yeah, the uh, the two things I think we missed the most out of last year's draft, if you read the tea leaves, and then obviously you talk to people afterwards, the Jets had no idea Elijah Moore was going to be there at 34. Yep. I jokingly projected them to get him at 34 last year, and like humble brag, I nailed the Zach Wilson AVT Elijah thing. The AVT and Zach were like the most worst-kept secrets in football, similar to like it was so obvious that's what was going to happen if they could get there. Um the Jets literally talked for five minutes straight about how Michael, they had no idea Michael Carter was going to get there. Yep. So I think, and they were like, dude, that was the longest round ever. We wanted you to be here. Like read the tea leaves. <laughs> he was never going to be a jet until he fell. Um, we'll get, I'll get ask you two quick, you know, two more quick ones, more generally draft related. What's the, like, you kind of hit on one there, but what's one of the most mainstream kind of group think ideas about the draft that, 
you feel like is maybe either wrong or just like in general, like we don't, we talk too much about. And then I guess the flip side of one thing that like is pretty consistent happens every year that no one's really talking about. Mm, that's a good question. And that's like wide, wide yeah, just widespread. Right? Like, for example, like the group thing is like, there's always gonna be five quarterbacks taken, like maybe, but like, that's not necessarily always the case. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. I think for me this year, it's that, Oh man, it's tricky. I think the tight end evals are really all over the place for this year. I think that there are going to be teams that think Trey McBride can be a top 40 pick, and there are going to be teams that wouldn't take Trey McBride until the fourth round. And then you have teams that will take a Greg Dulcich in the top 65, and then teams that would never draft him in the top 100. So I think the tight end rankings of this whole like right and wrong. I, I guess my overall take is here. Like I've seen a lot of people say like, this is wrong or like, this is right. Or this is wrong for this team. I think there's such a difference of opinion by team to team and league by league that like, we need to get out of that sense of like, just the draft, the way it falls every year does not go in the order of how players perform at the NFL. It's so scattershot across the way that there there's a reason for that. And I think people just need to understand that, you know, guys that get drafted late are, it's not always for, there's different reasons all the time. So it's definitely a tough one to answer, but I think that would be my main takeaway is that it's also scheme specific. I'll leave, that'll lead to the next thing for me. I think people need to, and this is very hard to do in a draft landscape because there's just not the time, especially someone like me that just does the board by himself and goes through, you know, I rank the 300 players, but I had this conversation today. If somebody asked who's better, Trent McDuffie or Derek Stingley? And I said, it's scheme specific. It really is. It's not a cop-out answer. If you're a zone team that values tackling, instincts, downhill play, you're going to love Trent McDuffie. If you're a man team that's playing cover zero, cover one, you're blitzing, you leave your guys on an island, you need ball skills, you need speed, you need to be able to turn and run down the field and play vertically with targets and win at the catch point, you like Stingley. So I think that's something that we're missing with the draft is there are guys that you might see in a mock draft simulator 100 times and in my brain and i don't like tweet back at this because i think it just comes off in a in a jerk kind of way that i don't really want to portray but you know in your head like that guy will never go to that team because he just doesn't fit what they do like i'll text with offensive line coaches and i'll like a player and they'll be like we would never take that guy because his arm length is in the bottom 20 percentile and it's like it your face kind of drops because you're like oh my god like i loved this guy's tape yeah please don't take Rashawn Slater because it definitely looked like that on tape Exactly. So I think these are the things that those are some things that people don't see. And sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're wrong. Um, like everything else in life. And, and then medicals people don't see. And I think that's when the toughest medical and character is the toughest one. You'll see a player hyped up on the timeline for such a long time. And a lot of people will poke and prod at you like, oh, you're insane. You have that guy 75th. He's, you know, in everybody's top 40 and not everybody because there's guys that do this job at a, at a level higher than me. That's unbelievable. You know, like Brugler and Daniel Jeremiah, the way they're plugged in is just unbelievable, but there's a reason guys don't magically drop. There might've been a, a red flag where the team doctors say like, you really can't take him. Or there might be a character issue that was not reported to the general public, but you know, it could be a lingering problem down the road. You don't want that fit in your, your culture in your locker room. So that's the hardest part of draft coverage. And it's always, it's not going to change. It's it. I'm never going to report on character. Um, I'm not going to report on medical because I don't think it's fair for me to, if one team tells me this guy has a chronic knee condition, that doesn't mean all other 31 teams in the NFL picked it up. And it's not fair to try to plummet a guy's stock in my eyes. It's his lifelong dream. 
I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to try to take money out of someone's pocket. So it's a part of the job that it can't be answered publicly, but it's, it, it matters so much. Yeah, no, I'm on the same page as you. I guess I'll wrap this last one thing uh, here. Give me, I have like, I'll list my two and for each, and then you could go. I think we're kind of, I know, I know you're going to stand with Jermaine Johnson's one guy you're higher on maybe than consensus. Um, the two guys I'm way lower on, which I'm kind of annoyed at myself because I did a full circle on Christian Watson and now I'm back to where I started. Um, Christian Watson and Trevor Penning are not first round players for me. Trevor you. Penning is, he's arguably like a, not a top 50 player for me. I've really struggled with him. Like he's a guy that I, I've grown <laughs> really low on. Um, and the other guy that I'm really higher, I, I think higher on is, is Kyrie Elam, I think is literally a top. I mean, I don't, he's got some of the best feet at corner I've seen in a long time in terms of like pure, just like literal footwork. I know he doesn't tackle well and he's scheme specific, but he's a guy, if he ends up in new England, he's to be an all pro. Like I'm just going to tell you right now, or Kansas city, like those are the schemes for him. So um, who are two guys that you're either higher on than the consensus or lower on? And we'll finish with that. Two that I'm higher on. I mean, I have Linderbaum at five and I, there's people that think he doesn't go in the first round. I have Jermaine Johnson at six. Um, I don't know if Kyle Hamilton at eight is low. I think it's pretty fair, all things considered. Uh, Devin Lloyd at 13, I'm really high on him. You know, N'Kobe Dean at 19. Um, you know, and then Dax Hill and Lewis Seen are two guys that are in my top 23 players. So I'm, I'm really high on those kind of guys. Lower, I have Karloftis at 29. Taking him in the top 15 to me is, is absolutely insanity. Um, and we'll go down. I have Devontae Wyatt at 33. I think he's a good D-line. I don't think there's anything. Forgot he was 24. Yeah, 24 years old. Um, yeah, there's a lot there. I, 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 he's a nice player. He's not a first-round player. He'll go in the first round. I think, eh, don't count on that. It's not guaranteed. Uh, Iba Cady, really high on, 34th overall. I would take him at the end of the first round. He's unique in Gakwe to me. And then let's go a little deeper here. I have Raymond and Penning back-to-back, 47 and 48. They are not even top 40 players for me, and they're both going in the first round. I think Tyler Smith is a, a player I would take over then 10 out of 10 times. He's 20 years old. He's bigger, stronger, more more athletic in terms of the weight he carries. I know Penning had like a insane relative athletic score. Doesn't mean anything if you can't anchor, okay? So that's where I'm at, and man, I wish I had another deep cut for you. Oh, D'Angelo Malone is my 41st ranked overall player. I don't think he gets drafted till the third or the fourth round. So, you know, these are things I prepare for because I know on the BR show, they're going to fly my, you know, best available and it's round three or four and there's a guy in my top 50 and everyone's like, why the hell is this guy in our top 50? He hasn't been drafted yet. Sometimes it hurts me. Sometimes it, it, it doesn't. I, I'll give you two examples going the other way. I mean, I was really high on Kelvin Harmon that year and Tore his ACL, so not really a fair shake, but it hasn't really worked out for him. Um, I was, I had Carl Lawson in the first round. He went in the fourth round. So sometimes it works for you, sometimes it works against you. But I think the the most exciting part of the draft is is exactly that is being 30, 40 spots higher on a guy than where he's projected to go, and you find out who's going to be right in about two to three years. Yeah, I was going to say it also goes the other way when someone has uh someone you know their 87th best player and they go in in round top round two and usually it's the Jaguars and you look at them and go hmm, that was that was a wild you know wild pick obviously anyone that listens to this obviously listens to pretty problem I assume uh, anything you know uh, Connor's doing Badlands stock exchange um, BR stuff I know you're gonna have to do a lot of you have a lot of stuff you're gonna be coming out with this week in terms of your guys live coverage. Um, yeah, we're seven days out, you know, 
by the next time I record on, on Tuesday, Debo Samuel could be a jet or it could be, you know, on, or it could be in a t- terrible spot where Jets fans are left uh, in the almost jet mantle, but um, make sure everyone subscribe. We'll have next week. I believe Monday is going to be the draft season guys are going to come out with their last mock. And then I'm recording Thursday morning, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday. So <laughs> there's a lot going on. Um, and uh, yeah, make sure uh, everyone's tuned in and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week.